0: Hey, everybody. Matt Johnson here, the creator and director of New Frequency, welcoming you to another episode of our exciting radio drama podcast. It is our 100th episode here on The Big Show. Wow. And to celebrate it, we have a very special program for you tonight. We have a collection of our top New Frequency stars and crew here for a wonderful roundtable, a discussion about the history of the program, some of their favorite memories during the podcast, and even their advice for breaking into the industry. It's going to be a really lively, fun discussion you are not going to want to miss. So let's get him in here and get going. It's time for the New Frequency 100th episode Roundtable. <laughs>
1: New frequency, a theater of the mind on the air. On the air in three. It's coming
2: pretty clever. In two. Overcome by a dreadful. dreadful dreadful. dreadful in one. New frequency. It's like nothing I have ever experienced. Hot calling all freaks. <laughs>
3: oh,
0: it's, be, right? yeah. it's just now it's Well, with our exciting talk about middle names, we're actually already rolling. Really,
4: really cool.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the 100th episode of our fantastic New Frequency podcast. Yeah. 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 To set the scene, for anyone listening out there, well, not anyone, there's definitely people (laughs) listening out there, (laughs) for all, uh, we have, we're sitting in my living room in Los Angeles, California, and we have a massive group of people all around, I'm going to introduce everybody, Gil Glasgow, James Napoli, Biz Urban, Mark Daniel Cade, Todd Sherry, Warren Harkins, Victoria Wright, and Dick the Blade Schroeder, give yourselves a hand, everybody, it's been so exciting for us to do this podcast for two years now. And this is our 100th episode that we are celebrating. So I thought it would be fun just to kind of have a roundtable with some of our top stars and people in the group to just sort of talk a little bit about, like, the history of New Frequency about our podcast. But I thought I would start off by giving you guys some fun stats uh, oh, no. about, our, about our podcast, in All addition right. to the the tens of thousands of listeners that we've had on our episodes here. Hang on, I have to put my glasses on because I'm an old dude now. Um, our top cities, uh, our top 10 cities in the world of places that listen to our podcast, or sorry, our top 10 countries are USA, Canada, UK, Germany, Australia, United Arab Emirates, Netherlands, France. Saudi Arabia, and Russia.
4: Right.
5: Yes. Wow. We, have,
0: we have been heard in 40 additional countries including places like Vietnam, Bosnia, and even Peru. Wow, hey. oh, Very <laughs> exciting. Uh, the top pieces of the 100 episodes that we've aired, uh, our top pieces are Drink to Fate, Oh yeah, The Beatles, Meters Running a Romance, <laughs> The Thing on the Forble Board, yeah. Chuck the Spy, Stink Bomb on the Orient <laughs> oh, Express, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and Asleep in Cripple Creek. Those, oh, those, are, oh, yeah. those are our oh. top five. And I think that top writing down and looking at our stats and writing down those, I think that just hearing those pieces I think is what makes New Frequency great because there's such a wide variety <laughs> of just topics right. and mm-hmm. stories just from what I just mentioned. There's sci-fi and horror and western and comedy and time travel so I think that I think that's what sort of represents New Frequency best so how does everybody sort of feel about the uh, 100 episodes and and the podcast experience overall? Well boy are my arms tired (laughs) (laughs) Oh
2: Todd. Oh Todd Sherry. I like to call it a (laughs) Toddcast.
0: But why do you think it is that that New Frequency continues to connect with audiences? We've always been very lucky in this show that from the moment we created this show, and many of you in the room were there for that, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but this show has always connected with people, and I don't think that you can say that about every project, and it's actually not something you can plan. If we could plan it, every project we did would be super successful. Right. right? But for some reason this show Always connects with audiences and I just love to hear anybody's thoughts on why.
6: I I remember when we first started, you would say to the audience, you would say, at some point, sit back and close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And that was always a great image, I thought, because we were doing radio theater, even (laughs) though it was live, and many times would look out And half the audience's heads would roll back and their eyes would close. That was really cool. So they obviously were connecting on that point.
7: Yeah, I think so. they chose to do that, you should...
2: (laughs) I have a theory. Um, I am. I just started watching this new show Electric Dreams uh-huh. on Amazon Prime. I watch Black Mirror on oh, Netflix. Yeah. Love it. I go back and watch Twilight Zone all the time and Night Gallery. And we were sort of like that. We told all these varied different stories. Yep. And, and they sometimes they had a mysterious bent or a scary bent. Or, you know, we did our Halloween show. We had our theme shows, our Christmas show. And uh, I think we just did so many different kinds of things, and we had such a troop of actors that could play so many different roles over the radio. Right. You know, which was a, a gift to all of us because you know we didn't have to look like the character, but we yeah. could still play the character. That's right. Right. Um, and I think exactly what Gil was saying is, you know, people, you know, at home or or uh, in the actual audience, shut their eyes and had a whole imaginary experience of mm-hmm. this world that we had with the foley sound and the acting and everything that we did they were able to create this whole world themselves and i think that these shows that are on now you know electric dreams and and black mirror happening right now in our hits it's something that people love is mm-hmm. sort of an anthology series of a troupe of players doing different um uh stories yeah and i know thank you okay, point
7: todd
5: <laughs> no go ahead Victoria. i think i think the, <laughs> the troupe is appealing i think you know people connect mm-hmm. with with the the actors and then the actors in their roles. It's always fun for an audience who follows us to see us in different in different uh, roles. But I also think something else that it was appealing to our audience is that we didn't try to do an hour and a half of a story. We had four stories or three stories in an hour and a half. So we took them on a journey that maybe sort of like a lot of successful shows now, it's not all of the same. It's, we're going to take you here, then we're going to bring you down, then we're going to bring you up, and as Matt would say, we always try to end on a high note.
0: Well, I think one of the things that James and I battled whenever we were always creating these pieces was, I think, I, I always felt like that everybody wanted to pigeonhole our show. They wanted to tell me, well, just be all horror or just be all science fiction right. or just be all comedy because no one wants to hear all these different genres in a, in a show. And I said, I respectfully disagree for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. I love anthology. I loved that we could make you cry with a heartwarming piece. And our very next piece was peeling off somebody's flesh that turned out <laughs> to be some alien creature. I love that as, ec- as eclectic as it was yeah. and is for our show that like we 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 run the gamut. On 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 the, the genres that we, and that's very specifically in my mind of like always wanting to do that. And I know it was tough for James and I because I'm like, we got to get a comedy in there. You know, and it's like, oh gosh, we already have like all these drama ones, but Matt wants a comedy in there, so turn on the comedy juice, James Napoli. To be fair, healing <laughs> off somebody's flesh could be very sentimental to
7: her.
8: <laughs> this is true. And also very comedic. Yes. You
9: know, I, I remember when James was first recruiting me to come in and be the sound engineer for the show, I was quite skeptical because James pitched it to me like it is a live radio drama and all I'd ever seen of that prior to becoming associated with New Frequency was what I'd seen on like PBS and it's, it's a television event where they're acting their way through a radio drama mm-hmm. and wow. I was very skeptical coming in because I didn't really want that. I came from a pretty strict radio background but when I realized, as Gil said, that you can actually listen to these shows with your eyes closed, and in some cases it's way better with your eyes mm-hmm. closed because your imagination takes over, and it was written that way, that was my litmus test, and it's, that was when I realized, okay, I'm on board.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and um,
1: it, something, you know, something else that we haven't mentioned um, as to why the show touched so many people and was so popular is because in every single episode, play, story that Matt or James wrote, there was always some kind of a human element, or Todd (laughs) Sherry, or myself, Mark Daniel K. But in every episode that we broadcast, there was always some sort of a human element that made it so that the audience could identify with what was going on. And I think that identification is what drew people in, I think it's what really grabbed people, and I think it's what made people want to come back and listen to more. Because if they didn't have
9: something to relate to, I don't think they would have cared. Sure. Right. It always comes back to the storytelling. Yeah. 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 Just engaging people's imagination, painting pictures in their heads with the best, most well chosen words and stories, Mm -hmm. and then let people's imaginations take over and let that be the driving factor. Well, it was also. We managed it more often than not.
10: It was all the elements, because I had friends who would go to the live shows. And sometimes they would be hesitant to go because they'd think of the old time radio theater and the same old stories. And then they'd go and they'd see these really fresh, hip stories And like what Todd was hinting at. It was, I mean, great stories, but they liked the acting, they liked the production. Mm-hmm. It, it was all the elements that really turned them on, you know, and, and when they got energized, it energized us and it would just fed back and forth. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
8: Yeah, Dick, I think that I start off as a fan. I, I saw numerous shows, and so it's it's kind of surreal to me that I actually am in this room with all you guys, because I grew up loving radio drama, but for me, what I always leaned towards was the scary, the horror, the the thriller, and what I loved is that being introduced to what you guys brought to the table every single time you came to stage was something different and something that made me laugh and made me feel and made me cry. And I come from a theater background and seeing this sense of community that you guys created with your personality and with your spirit and with your voices, uh, I had to be a part
7: of it.
6: <laughs> oh, very, very sweet, very sweet. sweet. Thank you, Bizarin. And Bizar- once Arben. the check cleared,
4: <laughs>
7: you're <laughs> in. <laughs> Can I ask a question of, of the actors Please in Please do. Uh, one thing I noticed one night it was at the Roxy show. One of the Roxy. Shows. Yes, Roxy and the Sunset Strip. One yeah. of our one of our great shows we did. And I remember feeling that. I think I'm becoming a better actor through being a voice actor. <laughs> and I wondered if the other actors in the room felt that way. There was something about having that connection you make
0: with just your voice. Yeah, no, Gil's actually, talked about this before, about how it made you made, made you a better cold reader, right? Yeah, well, and you know, I also ran into an interesting problem. I had not
6: done any television uh, for a while, uh, and I was doing just new frequency. And I went on to the set, and I was shooting in West Wing and uh... we went to shoot the scene and uh... the scene started and i was like (sighs) Uh, (laughs) and the the director said we just stick to the lines. We don't. We don't need that. I realized yeah. I was making all these radio sounds. <laughs> yeah, you're. Sound <laughs> yeah. you yeah. really yeah. yeah.
2: So in Gil's case, they made him a worse actor. Yeah. Yeah. But the rest of us got better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
10: Yeah. It was funny. And I got to say, one of the great elements that everybody comments on was the music of Rob the Iceman. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: He is missed. And he could not be here tonight. But, Rob, you know, uh, there, there are so many things that brought that, that brought New Frequency together that took us to to, to different levels. And I can, I can see the progression of the show of, like, when we got certain cast members and when we were in certain venues. And, you know, Rob the Iceman took our show to a, a whole new level because he gave me another character on stage mm-hmm. that I could work with mm-hmm you know every single night and it was his music mm. and it was like we have to move so quickly in this show that Rob was able to convey music and is able to convey music so beautifully and he has such an instinct for storytelling yeah. that I, I think that his contributions to our show are, 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 are almost second to none as to what he did for the emotion of it because he made all of us better too because there are many times that we I my note was just listen to what Rob's doing right. just, just listen to what he's doing like yeah. You know, in the same way that we're, we listen to Foley when you're doing radio drama and you're listening to other actors, this is a very this is a very listening medium. Just listen to Rob. Yeah. But I also
5: think Rob listened to us. Absolutely, so, right. yeah. it was a very symbiotic kind of relationship and yeah. very trusting that that he could sense both the audience and where we were, and sort of feed that. And by the same token, we fed off what Rob was able to, to do for us. So
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Not to yeah. mention his performance as Lafarge in the Grantham-Croix oh, yes. oh, yes. oh, my God. Lafarge. <laughs> yes. Well, and he also did a very good
9: squirrel. very <laughs> <laughs> <Really laughs> good squirrel. One of the things that I admired, uh, my, admire so much about Rob is, I remember watching Rob and Matt, you guys were scoring a movie, it was a, one of your first pictures, uh-huh. and you guys were scoring it in my living room. Yes. And I was in the bedroom down the hall.
4: Uh-oh. Oh, hey, I see the magic
2: wand. I wonder who it could be. I wonder,
4: there is Tracy from Caracara. You have no idea.
0: We're actually recording right now, Tracy. Oh, my not It's good see you. you. To, really the duck to, come down. to let everyone know Hello, what's I going on.
3: Hello. One
0: of our fantastic cast members, Tracy Lalacotta, is just walking in and joining the recording. So let's sit, let's keep going. We'll say our hellos I'm in a little see. bit. Let's keep going.
7: Okay. Uh, Sorry. That was an awesome was documentary every... feel, though. Rob and
9: Matt were scoring a movie in my living room, and they were discussing what the music cue was going to be for each upcoming scene, And if Rob's initial instinct wasn't correct, he was so flexible in changing to what you wanted it to be. Absolutely. He
0: could could shift gears like that. Absolutely, yeah. He was amazing. He's, he is, is amazing. It is is amazing. Okay, so keeping us on track, like, let's talk a little bit about just the podcast experience overall. Obviously, 100 episodes here, you know, I, I, I mean, listen, I'll just go ahead and brag. I'll say it. I'll put our 100 episodes against almost any 100 episodes <laughs> damn, damn, on television yeah, yeah. or anything because of the storytelling, the variety of material, the acting. If you look at our collective work, it's something I am so proud of these episodes. So, not on the new frequency history as a whole but just on the podcast experience that we've experienced for the last two years any episodes that stood out to people anything that you heard again and you just you know brought back some memories uh, and why because I know for me you know every time that you know all the episodes we put up for two years now were recorded live here in Los Angeles but then I would be editing them down and recording intros to put them up so I was always having to listen back down after I had written many of of them directed all of them and it was always new for me to listen back and I, I'm just curious as to what the experience was like for some of <laughs> you guys to hear some of these pieces again. Speaking
5: Whoa. of listening to them new I've listened to some of these and gone who is that?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: and, and my my husband Gil Glasgow will say honey that's you
4: <laughs> <laughs> and the same and, and
5: we've we've listened to some and gone who is that Mm -hmm. yeah it's just because it is so engrossing for and i i don't mean that but to sound weird it's just this is such an oral kind of experience and it really does draw you in and that's coming from people who lived it i mean Mm -hmm. extraordinary
0: thank you yeah. Anybody else? Any, any episodes stand out to you?
5: Uh, the
8: very first episode I ever heard. Um, after I after I went to my first live New Frequency show, I uh, I met up with Matt Johnson, <laughs> the creator, and he he saw what a how enthusiastic I was, and he gave me a whole bunch to listen to. So it was extraordinary to years later go back and listen to some of these episodes that I listened to for the very first time and the very first episode I ever listened to was Willard's Woods. Oh and yeah, Willard's it, written by
0: James Napoli. Yeah.
8: <laughs> and it was it was a transporting experience. It it not only it not only took me into the story again, but it reminded me of where I was who I was when I heard that and how I felt at that time and how it felt it, it just it was It's really, it's really extraordinary. It is amazing when
0: you hear some of the pieces, it does take you back to where we were in our lives when we did them because we've all been together for, I mean, this troupe itself has been together for 18 years, so, you know, we've all been in different places of our lives, you know, many different places, and I I think back on many different locations we were in and places we were in our lives when I hear some of them as well. One of the experiences for me, <laughs> this, is, this is not Todd Sherry,
7: James Napoli speaking, yeah. James Napoli. Um, you know, because uh, I loved to write the horror pieces and the darker dramas and all those things, but then I heard one of the podcasts, and it was um, Conversations at Cars Lookout Point with you, Tracy, as <laughs> yes, my scene partner,
4: and I thought, Wow,
7: we're really funny! I was like...
4: (laughs) (laughs) That episode was so endearingly
7: funny. It just was knocked out. And you know, I don't
0: even remember <laughs> uh, <laughs>
7: right? yeah, we if did you have so many
0: yeah if you haven't yeah. heard that one go back to uh, two older couples uh you know going to lookout point to like make out and I remember uh I remember very distinctly yeah I remember very distinctively like rehearsing that piece and saying no you guys have to make like sex noises like, you
3: know like on the microphone but as old- Yes, as <laughs>
7: older folks, ow, just oh, liar. ow! Can we get Can we get the giggle
0: from <laughs> yes. There it is.
7: Um, but nothing,
6: nothing made that better than when when Mark and Jeff walked in as the oh, cop. as the
0: cop. <laughs> uh, it, just like, it made it all worthwhile. Yeah, so funny. That was <laughs> fun. I'm amazed at how many pieces that James and I wrote that were. Set in the future or whatever, but we're very prophetic and are now like <laughs> you know a part of our lives. Smart house was smart one ha- of the oh, smart, yeah. Yeah. Smart, smart house. was you know I read I read the article about the future of smart technology on a plane when I was flying home from some trip, and I remember thinking like oh I have to write an episode about this, but boy did that like come a yeah. her you yeah, know? yeah it did that was come real like, absolutely. Yeah. We had a, we had an episode that stood out to me called Lines in the Sand about a crazy president who went back in time to mm-hmm. serve in war. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. like, you know, it was so prophetic. Mm-hmm. Can Some... we do that
4: now?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, exactly.
6: The, and, and wasn't it recently, uh, the, uh, was it, uh, 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 the Christmas one, uh, let it snow,
0: yeah. and and isn't oh, it mentioned something work, about yeah. now it's
6: in two thousand seventeen? Absolutely, oh, yeah. What well, it was, we it actually was like...
0: mentioned it was it w- that it was two thousand seventeen. Yeah, um, wow. And and that it was like robot technology, right. and that people had become so addicted to technology that we had stopped like socializing with right. each other. Wow, James, way to go! <laughs> way to go on that one. Thank God we're all socializing <laughs> now.
7: <Yeah. laughs>
10: Thanks, James. <Yeah. laughs> I gotta look at my smartphone for a <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, way to go on that one. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting to me, too, was when we did these uh, pieces live, there was always four or five scripts. And some of them were huge, right? You'd have a gigantic horror piece or a huge comedy. And then we would have these little small comedies or dramas kind of in the middle but in my mind as we were doing them some of those weren't standout pieces because they were surrounded by big epic Mm -hmm. pieces so the way that this podcast worked out that we were able to break down individual episodes I think it let little gems like events we don't talk about or conversations in cars, lookout point or you know any of those ones we just mentioned shine a little bit more because maybe they were bumped up against Hungry Valley or something (laughs) crazy about Cannibal and then whatever came after that was just like a little two-person drama, you know. But they really stand out, I think, on the podcast. I think that's where I, one of the my goals for the podcast was let the individual pieces stand alone and not wherever they fell within the live production that
9: right. we did. I remember Hungry Valley every single time I drive up I-5. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: It's an off-ramp from, from the I-5
9: interstate in Southern California. Yeah, it's my cannibals,
0: too. Yeah. And I like
9: cannibals, so. <laughs> I, don't,
6: I don't remember specifically but did you ever change the order or yeah. did you come in
0: each week with the four pieces in the order we were going to do them and we just stuck to that i I, I honestly you? don't remember changing the order very much and also James and I very rarely did rewrites like right. we right. would wow. we would come yeah. in almost dead on with those scripts. We took care of those while we were <laughs> there.
4: <laughs> yes. Yes, you guys handled
9: that. Like,
0: um, you know, now, I,
6: I plead guilty to that. Uh,
0: so. Man,
9: I remember you me. and I would discuss the sound effects in advance of the rehearsals, yep. and I'd pretty much get them in... in Sequential order. Yeah, so I don't recall that
0: you changed the order. No, I don't think very all. much We, Maybe did, we didn't change or the order and I don't think uh, James can t- jump into I don't know We we didn't really do a lot of rewrites as we went because I don't think we had time Right, right, it was, it, a was the, it was the time crunch, but I think that each one got two drafts, probably. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe, but yeah. I just don't think in the moment we were really rewriting, like, mm-hmm. in the rehearsal process, maybe a line here and there, but it was very rare that we would be like, well, that scene really doesn't work, let's, like, rewrite that, and I would be giving new lines, like, right up until performance. I just don't think we ever did. Right. Well, yeah. I don't think we ever did that. You
3: always had an an arc, too, for some of the serials, like, I mean, Grantham Croydon, I mean, and, mm-hmm. and some of those that, that continued on, Right. you know, certainly Chuck the Spy, you certainly... It was amazing to me to see how the arc would continue, even if you hadn't really thought it all out at the very first or second episode, <laughs> yeah. because they became you know such rich characters. That yeah. They, they so played well do. on their own, mm-hmm.
9: but there was a little something new in each one, and if you were carrying on with following the theme, yeah, you'd learn a little bit more yeah. with each one. Right. Well, usually after somebody took a gun and put it
6: to their head and blew their brains out you kind of needed Chuck the Spidey yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know,
4: like, yeah, yeah you know this kind of yeah it yeah. kind of
7: made sense as to where where it was we needed to go this is the perfect place to talk about the new frequency death turn <laughs> oh!
4: Oh, the new oh, frequency death
7: wow and
4: I believe wow. there's still to this day
0: wow. an argument about where that actually came from right and don't forget the new frequency death turn and for FTT the, yeah we actually, we actually, it became such a thing for those listening at home. They all think we're insane. Um, whenever we would perform the show live here in Los Angeles, if there was ever a death on stage or something, I always wanted to have a little bit of stage presence too, not just a radio show. So I would make people like slowly turn their back to the microphone before they would like leave the microphone. And we would call it the new frequency death turn. And then it became just NFDT. And I would just say things like, yeah. And so like, I would be like rattling off directions like, okay, go to like, this microphone, go to that, and you'll NFDT here. Just like, <laughs> I mean, if you were listening to what we were talking about, it was like what?
4: Well, one of
10: the things you don't realize in the podcast that always amazed me at the performances is how fast we put the shows together. Yes. we would load in to wherever the venue was. Man. You know, Warren would usually help me with the uh, audio gear and get all that yeah. ready. But the actors, you'd run through it once or twice. Absolutely, we'd break for dinner, we'd come back and, and do, the the show, do the show, and it was yeah. perfect. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I in <laughs> some ways i think that helped us because we didn't really have a lot of time to think about it right, right. we didn't right. have a lot of t- it was like make immediate choices sound audio yeah. performance make immediate choices and let's go we yeah. didn't have a lot of time to make like in-depth like in in-depth choices one of the Strong things that choices. has yeah.
6: stood out to me listening to the shows on the podcast is how good a lot of our crowd scenes are Oh, yeah. I mean, it just like I was like, how did we do that? Yeah. It sounded like we were like in the distance, and we walked by, uh,
5: yeah. you know,
6: or we were people on the street, and it was—I was very effective because oh. we're
5: brilliant. Well, great length technique.
0: So let's shift a little bit here because uh, I, w- I want to talk while we have the, the group together because it's such a, a rare moment for us to be able to talk about how this show was put together, a little bit of the history of New Frequency because I don't think we've ever act—we all know in this room, but I don't think I've ever actually talked out loud about creating the show. We never really talked out loud about some of our techniques like NFDT and some things that we talk about. And I know whenever I get, when I get, when I get emails from and, and messages from listeners, it's always about How to make it in Hollywood, suggestions for being in the arts. And then it's always technique questions about things that, the performance things that we do. So I wanna make sure we cover a little bit of that. So let's just talk, I wanna tell a little bit of the history of New Frequency and then have everybody kind of come in to talk about where you came in and a little bit of the evolution of it too. I know for me, you know at the time that New Frequency was created, it was 1999. <laughs> yes, it was that long ago. I was doing a, sh- I was doing a show at the Jewel Box Theater and I was filling in, in, a, in a performance, I think, with Jeff Hoheimer, one of our brilliant cast members who's not here. Love you, Jeff. And, um, and uh, I met John Lant, who owned that theater, and John had three theaters at the Jewel Box Theater down in Hollywood, and he was desperate for any material to be in those theaters because he had three theaters to cover. And he was like, anything you can come up with, create a show, create a show, like anything you can come up with. I want to, I want you to come pitch me some ideas. And I was driving uh, to Texas for a holiday trip and it was like one of those long late night drives. And I think somewhere on AM radio, I was flipping channels. This was way before like serious satellite radio and cell phones and all that and i heard an old radio drama on am radio and it, and it and it sent me nostalgically back to my childhood and how i did listen to radio dramas and how my parents listened to radio dramas and and that and that medium so like it, it that was where the idea came now You know, my idea of the anthology and multiple storylines and all that kind of thing. But really, where New Frequency really started was as a stage show. I mean, if you guys remember, when we first did it, it was six weeks Mm -hmm. of essentially a play. We had blocking and everything. We had blocking. We had microphones up there, but they were just uh, essentially prop microphones. We weren't really recording the show. It was just a stage performance of a, a radio drama show so I mean but like I know some of my OG original cast like Gill Tracy James, Mark Todd you know some of you guys talk about your audition experiences any audition <laughs> stories that you remember I, I don't know why Gill is pointing
2: at me
4: <laughs> but I
2: will say that at the time that you came up with this idea you and I were in the same group at yeah. the Actors Network that's right which yeah. was a, a network like a networking place for group, actors. Yeah. And you had brought up, it was a place where you'd come in every month to your meeting and you would say what you did last month for your career and what you're going to do next month for your career. And Matt brought up this idea that he had, that he wants to do this this live radio theater show. And just immediately it sparked like a flame in my (laughs) head and I walked up to him after the meeting and I said... What you said lights a fire under my ass so high, I want to do it. Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> said, oh well, you, well, you can
2: come and audition. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I had, so, to play, uh, I had to play it cool. <laughs> so I did, and the rest is history. The reason I'm going to say about
6: me, I, why we went at you, uh, Todd, is
2: because
6: uh, we auditioned together. Uh, and we were a man and a woman <laughs> scene. And we switched. We switched, and went in and read, and it was very peculiar, but it seemed, because we were doing, in our heads, radio theater, it seemed almost plausible, you know, because we could do that. And I realized later on that when we were auditioning for that, we were doing things subconsciously to play radio, but we were thinking in terms of, as an actor, just auditioning... Uh, for the play, so then when we did the show or started working on the show, it was like, oh, we're actors playing radio actors doing a play. I mean, it, it began to began to, to to do all this. But what we realized, or what I sort of began to realize, is we should be doing radio theater.
4: Yeah. You know?
6: So that that was that was. I just remember with Todd that it was like very strange that we were like a man woman scene. First time we we. I have, to, I have to
5: jump in on on that because I think that's one of the greatest gifts that I got from from this is being able to play, well, the 99th episode. You'll hear the, a teddy bear and to <laughs> to an old time western outlaw to. An alien to I mean just mm-hmm. the running the gamut of characters that never on God's green earth with all respect to casting directors across the country would I ever ever <laughs> have an opportunity to read for let alone actually bring to life. So beautiful thank I mean, you, Matt. Guys,
8: I got to play a monstrous Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better than that. Yes. I, never get that <laughs> I,
1: I remember when uh, a friend of mine told me about auditions for this radio theater thing happening. And um, similar to you, Matt, when I was a kid, I used to listen to a lot of radio theater. My parents listened to a lot of radio theater when we took long trips from Michigan down to Mississippi. You know, we'd be listening to radio theater. And so I'd never heard of anybody doing this. Uh, now, I'd only known radio theater as something that was done 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So when I heard that they were having auditions for a radio theater group in Hollywood, I had to sign up on
0: if it. If I remember correctly, Mark, didn't I come to your apartment and like pitch you the show? Yeah. Or did we do some initial reading there or something? I remember Mark was living in like a, a, an apartment in Hollywood. Yeah. And I have I, just now you saying that. I never would have remembered this, but I had a like sense memory of like coming back, going into your apartment, and talking about the yeah. show. I think that was where we met and talked about it. Yeah, you
1: told me all about the show, and I'm like, I'm let me audition, <laughs> sign me up, because,
2: yeah. you <laughs> know. I, and it's kind of well, like, I just had to show up and audition like regular people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody came to my house and, and pitched it to me. Nobody came to mine
3: either, and so I got it fair and square. <laughs> about it from a, a, a good friend of uh, a common friend of Matt and, and mine um and was told to come down and audition and I like yourself was like wait they're gonna do radio theater now like I had certainly heard about it happening you know 40 50 years ago and I've had always listened to them and, and and loved them and and coming I was in, a newly moved um actress to LA from Boston and I done some voiceover work there and a little bit of you know, kind of radio drama, but they weren't doing it the way that you are. Um, and, and so it was an amazing experience to come in and audition and kind of, I remember Matt having me do everything from my itty bitty girl to, to like an old lady to like, I think I had to do an alien at the audition. I, like, I just remember having to do like four or five completely crazy different voices and just having a blast with it and praying to God that I would get involved. Yeah. So.
0: yeah Cause I know that like, that's all I was doing. I was just listening to voices and I had to make sure that everybody could do a whole bunch of characters, but really, what you're doing when you do something like that is you're casting an ensemble. You're not really—I right. mean, you're—you know—you're casting right. people, but you're casting a group of people that you want to hang out with. Right. You know, I also want to make sure that I—that I say before we even got to the audition phase, I knew that I had to have a writing partner, and I went to a Paquito Moss in Burbank, California, and I and I beg, and I and I and I begged James Napoli over tacos and burritos to be a part of this show because I knew that I needed to have a writing person because I could not do it alone and that my vision for continual new material was going to be a challenge mm-hmm. and that I had to have somebody that would come on board. So James was one of the I think Even before the auditions, James had already like started working with me. I don't even know if we'd written anything for the auditions. I may have just pulled stuff from plays. But we we were already, James and I were already working together on what the original material was going to be. Because I was so bold to come in going, also, we're going to do all original material. We're not going to go find, like, old material. We're going to, like, find original material. Why didn't no one stop me? Like, there's no there's no reason why the show should have worked, right? There's, there's no reason, you know? I had no idea there were so many secret
2: pre-meetings.
7: <laughs> because, again,
2: I just had to audition.
4: <laughs>
7: well, you scared him with a fire up your ass. (laughs) Now, I I just want to share about the new frequency spiral bound notebook that began my career.
4: It
7: it was orange on the cover, Yes. and in one of the uh, pockets inside there remained the unproduced new frequency script. (laughs) That's right, it was called Nobody Gets Hurt and we never did it. Yeah, I remember. But surprise everybody!
4: Here's the script! (laughs)
7: your glasses out and and (laughs) may I also say uh, as a nod to uh, uh, Dick Schroeder and Warren Harkins that I believe it was my experience with you guys because I was doing uh, drive-time radio comedy and they were the engineers there and I think that that was also a nice little Mm
4: -hmm. fortuitous
7: Uh,
9: connection that brought them to the yeah yeah there are a lot of connected a lot of connections behind the scenes we we knew each other sometimes from other gigs
0: yeah, right. I think so.
9: It's not like we came together necessarily as a bunch of strangers. There was at least one other individual that may have shepherded this no. into the group, except for Todd. Right, <laughs> right. I just auditioned.
8: Yeah. I, I'd like to point out that I too auditioned to be part of and I and didn't audition. get cast. Oh. 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 Oh.
9: Well,
2: I remember...
8: Clearly, <laughs> clearly you
2: made an, an impression, however. <laughs> yes. When, when were James back.
9: Napoli yeah. came to me and asked if I'd be interested in engineering the shows, I already knew James' writing, and it was some of the most peculiar stuff I'd ever heard on the radio, <laughs> and that was absolutely why I followed. Very good. Oh, man, <laughs> yeah. go. nice. oh, uh, did, did you...
6: Uh, I don't remember if one of the hundred episodes was "Ghoulipoo."
0: Yes, we did do that one. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, the, yes. the audience participation. Yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> one we did. Uh, talking a little bit about just the evolution of the show, because we talked about the original production we did in Los Angeles was essentially a stage play, six weeks of a of a run of a stage play. But it was it became very apparent during that run that in order to do this show, we just had to record it. Right, we just had to start recording it. It needed to be new material every single time. It couldn't just be, uh, it couldn't just be a stage, you know, show. But I had no idea how to do that. I had no idea how to record like foley and music and microphones and everything. And through the brilliance of Eric Lalacata, Tracy's yeah. wonderful husband, who like encouraged encouraged me to say you should record this show. Like you should do the, this has to be an audio show. It cannot be a stage show. It has to be an audio show. And that might seem, that might seem normal now because of podcasts and the way we're recording on my laptop and we could record on our phones. At that time, it was difficult. There was microphones and, you know,
3: dat machines (laughs)
0: and things we had to bring in. And, you know, convincing you know all of us that like th- you know we were going to have to go through this difficult process of transitioning the show from essentially a stage production to an audio show which was a completely different show. I mean I remember very distinctively like us the learning curve on those microphones and you know yes. the difficulty you know we were in you know theaters that had like a CD player. Like there was nothing else in these theaters. We had to bring in Every single yeah. piece of equipment. The load And the foley. Yeah. Yeah, the load-ins. And the And these were black box theaters that we had to bring in. And then, you know, on top of all that, it wasn't just that, like, we should do the audio show. I was nuts enough to say, well, we're going to do one a month, and it's going to be all new material. And we would literally <laughs> rehearse on Sundays, and we would do, yeah. like, three Sundays in a row. Then we'd do a live show. Then we'd do three Sundays in a row, and we'd do a live mm-hmm. show. Like, that's always yeah. generally been mm-hmm. our schedule. But yeah. there was no reason why. I, anybody should have bought into this idea. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. And remember
0: also that we uh, we, went the to the 20th, <laughs> know, we went
2: to the we went to Twentieth Century Fox lot and yes. we went on the Foley sound studio and right. we learned Foley because we all were rotating doing the Foley. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just somebody doing Foley for the show or you know mm-hmm. it, it was like you know I remember Jeff and I doing was, Foley for
0: something. Yeah, and then, yeah It was the new know,
2: frequency players. Teresa yeah I, everybody
0: yeah. did Absolutely. everything. Everybody Maybe. did everybody did everything so in the evolution of the show talk a little bit about how you've seen you know how, how the evolution of the show has affected you performance wise, audio wise, technician wise, anything stand out. Out to you as to how, how how the show progressed over the years.
7: Well, I have one. Oh, sorry, Mark.
1: Go ahead. Sure, James. Aren't you okay, everybody?
0: Um,
7: <laughs> I
4: could now, tell that, that nice. as we did more Show of the
1: shows once we switched to audio, yeah, we, we, we all we got better, better and better and better, better at making that work. We got better, better at figuring better out the best, best, best methodology, the best, techniques, best techniques, techniques to work with microphones in, in terms of walking up, walking away, you know, way, you know the death, the death, So I saw myself
4: as the rest of us becoming better at it. And then, and then we got faster, we got faster, faster because we didn't, we have, didn't to have to
1: practice some of the, some things, of the things we knew how to do. do. So so uh, uh, I, definitely, I definitely, you know, know, do I feel like we all, we all got better and better as an because, because, because we had we have talent talent to have the talent to do things, things specifically, specifically just with our voice, voice, which we're which not, not, you, you know, know,
5: when, when we're on camera, we're not constrained in that way. So
1: I
6: definitely saw my well, also having to walk up to the microphone and have three lines as an Italian baker, and turn around and walk away and not think twice about the fact that I don't really do a very good Italian accent. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't have time to worry yeah, about that. Yeah, I got to yeah. be that Italian baker, and I got to get and I got to do it and get out. Yeah. So it freed us. I, it freed me up to make quick choices. Choices that you had to just do uh, because the story demanded it. Exactly. The, you know, I mean, you, you were falling off a building. You had to do your best scream ever, you know, and you didn't have time to think about it.
3: It's- Set for that, you had to think about your distance to the mic oh, and, sure. and how and your articulation oh, yeah, and yeah. how if you might pop your peas. I mean, right. my poor husband. Oh. I, I, yeah. You no, know, yeah. it's time Stop popping your and peas. And rattle your cages. Yes. yourself and, as yeah, well.
0: yes, yes. <laughs> and, You know. And, You'd always see the sound guys up in the booth go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> their hands up, like. <laughs> and, you know. I can
3: fix them, but I don't want to. And,
0: yeah.
3: and you know, and also being cognitive of uh, when your fellow cast members were on the foley mics that you were, as you were coming up to the microphone to actually read, that you weren't you know, stepping their right. footsteps. Right, you're waiting like, for their foot for the, footsteps, So that right? you actually could, Absolutely. you know. Because
0: I know Eric it. and I had a lot of conversations in the early going about like, if there's a mess up on stage we should stop and go again. And I was mm-hmm. very strict on, no we're mm-hmm. going to hold firm to at least the live performance that we go. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I think one of the things that I did like, that I do, do like what we've done with New Frequency is, it always has that fluid feel. Mm-hmm. Like I, I never wanted it to be so studio produced right. That, right. that, like you know. So yeah, sometimes Sanitary. sometimes you're hearing us make some flubs, you know, like right. and that kind of thing. Also, too, to like you know, Eric and Warren and Dick sitting here. Again, this was. I mean, Sound effects have even evolved over the years. Oh yeah. We we were making things up. There was no like, let me just go to YouTube and find a creature yell. There was no, there was none of that back then. We were Eric and I created a creature in the the upstairs balcony of 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 uh, tra- him and Tracy's yeah. apartment while we were while Tracy was sleeping downstairs. We were creating like creatures mm-hmm. screaming by like trying to find like lions and me making yeah. noises and scratching. And <laughs> Sa- same thing with these guys. We were literally inventing sound effects learned- to play as we were going. We
3: learned, I'll never forget this, that the sound of a uh, of a dinosaur like ripping flesh is, is, is very effective when you rip apart cabbage. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were like, make, we were finding these wonderful like things that it was a it was a wonderful exploratory experience to, 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 to go through it with everybody. And, and Matt, I gotta ask,
9: what, what was the fate of two items? The body fall bag and the door. And uh, yes, yeah.
0: bo- I, yes. I should have brought him in because they're both in my they're both in my they're both in my in my in my the body fall bag but it worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. That yeah. thing and, and, was oh. great. And Eric and I created those together. Eric made the door and did I did the, the body device. bag out of old jeans. And if we yeah. we opened them up, I'm sure it's an old yellow pages from Los Angeles <laughs> circa nineteen ninety-nine. And the door remember was those? Remember the door those? was a little
9: desktop door. It was about two yep. feet square yep. with a door frame. And a doorknob and all the necessary hardware. Had the, the lock it's on it, yeah. yeah. So you could hear people fumbling at the door. You could have a mic right on it. It was on the tabletop, and when you were done, mm-hmm. you could put it in the back of your car and you yeah. drive home.
6: <laughs> and, and one of the other things is, is that I believe that I've been married to everybody here, been killed by everybody, here, <laughs> and killed everybody.
2: How I get to kill? I, I, I think it was a, a hammer into a honeydew melon. <laughs> 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 it was the head smash. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 So
0: that stuff was. Well, messy. we did. We did reference. Um, we did reference uh, peeling off the of flesh earlier, and oh, that yeah. was one of my very favorite sound effects. I think it was. We, Velcro, I, I think it was Warren that that we had come up with this. It was. Um, it was a long piece of wood, and we put a piece of Velcro on it, and, slowly right. it, right. and slowly wow. right. it slowly opened, slowly ripped off the flesh. Maybe it was Therese Harrison bit, yeah. that came up with yeah. it. But it and, was, and the
10: companion effect of that is that they peeled off the flesh and dropped it. Uh, we had a big pair of mad scientist rubber gloves. Yeah. Oh that we yeah. Would drop yeah.
9: just Oh Dropping yeah. Was that was creepy yeah. as hell, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Exactly. So kids out there, about that. you know, if you're wanting to make sound effects at home, don't be boring. Don't just go google them on there find it's, some ways to create them at home You'll have much more fun it's yeah, doing fun. it. Absolutely.
7: It's fun. I would like, to, like to talk about this is because you you said you get inquiries about uh, People in theater. And yes, wine. absolutely. This is not an audio thing But I want to give you some kudos for this in terms of the evolution of the new frequency stage show in the very first part of the, the very first six shows mm-hmm. you blocked it as you say and everything somewhere along the line you put us in the back in chairs mm. and we sat yes. in those chairs mm-hmm. and waited for our turn at the mic and I think it gave the live audience an
0: incredible dynamic. I think, yes. that, I think that was the moment that the show became a communal experience. Right. There was we, we were not just uh, presenting a show to an audience. The whole experience was the New Frequency experience because I was very... We were cl- all in it. We were all in it, and the audience was in it with us. Right. And we were all in the room together wanting this experience to, to happen. And I think it was the was one so thing strange. about the Roxy
6: shows that was a little missing was we weren't able to all be on yeah. stage just during that. didn't have lunch. enough room. So, yeah. We didn't have that room, but, but to be back there, and to, to, even though it was just watching Todd's back, We Mm -hmm. sat there and all were were, were right in almost every line, every moment that was done by everybody. And you had to be.
2: That's the only
0: way you could stay on your cue. And everybody looked at you the whole time. You had to be in it the whole time. As well as
2: having the Foley there, where people were watching the sounds be made, whatever they were. If Mm -hmm. they were cornflakes crunching and that's somebody walking in the woods, or if it was whatever Mm -hmm. it was, people loved seeing that. Right, Yeah. Yeah. I got that comment a lot. I got that comment a lot from
1: audience members that they love seeing the Foley be produced, they love seeing the actors change characters. They love seeing us sitting in the chairs and then we get up and we'd be something totally different. They
10: loved watching that creation happen.
1: Right. All
3: those transformations. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
10: One of the things that makes the podcast great is the, the live audience reactions that you hear. Yeah. Yeah like you like said they're not just listening to the story, even though sometimes we told them to close your eyes and just uh-huh. listen to the story. Mm-hmm. But they're watching the foley and that's really entertaining to watch. Right. But you don't hear it but it's half Foley and it's half pre-produced sound effects and you don't know which is which, so the audience is watching and making sound effects live with Foley and then all of a sudden there's a produced effect in their face and it's oh, wow, that's, you know, catches (laughs) them by surprise. Absolutely.
0: Um, I want to make sure we hit this because I I get a lot of, I get a lot of messages from, from people around the world and and the United States. You know, they, they recognize a lot of us from, from work in, in Hollywood. We're in a room of working, uh, working people in the entertainment industry. I I want to make sure that I throw out there, you know, advice for the industry, advice for getting into the arts, because I'm asked that a lot. You know, People, whenever you know, especially from our international audience, how do I break into Hollywood? Might seem like a, a trivial, easy question, you know, when somebody sends me sends me those, but those always are difficult for me to answer. I, I try because I also want to give a realistic answer. And for those of us that have been working professionals in this business for so long, highs and lows, what are some of your just you know general tips for moving to Los Angeles? Making it in the arts, and not cynical tips. I mean, like legit, like like legit, oh, no, like le, like like tank fountain. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes.
0: The great, the great Betty, the great Betty Davis line. And
3: more park through the valley.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm just curious because you know the the industry has changed and evolved, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, right now while we're recording this, there's a 12 year old making a, a a film on his iPhone with you know, five friends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in his neighborhood, and he's thinking, man, how do I get out there and sit in a group in L.A. and, you know, be a part of a troupe and create original work and everything else, too, so I'd love to kind of, he- you know, hear it from a couple of pr- perspectives if anybody has anything. Todd, here. Well, <laughs> I, I, as you know, I
2: teach and coach a lot of actors yes. on mm-hmm. auditions, and I'm a working actor myself, and uh, it, it all changed for me, and I teach this to other actors, when the day that I decided to just bring me and what I do to the role instead of trying to figure out what they're looking for Mm. in the role Mm. so when I did that was the first time I booked and then I you know I consistently booked after that because there isn't another me there isn't another you whoever's listening you know if you're an actor there isn't another you if you can bring who you are and what you do to the role it's going to automatically be different than anyone else's Mm -hmm. interpretation and it's also going to be truer than anything else you would do because it is you immediately attached to that role Mm -hmm. and then they look at you and say oh well you know they're not perfect for this but I'm going to call them back for something else because I can see who they are and what they do. Right. instead of that you try to mold yourself into this thing that you think they're looking for and now you're two or three steps away from who you are and they don't know what to do with you and they just forget about you,
0: you know, coming from a directing perspective and todd can probably and biz can mention this from the casting perspective that very rarely does an actor or actress ever leave a room and somebody ever says anything bad-mouthing about them or whatever because you just move on if they're not right for the role it's just like oh they're too short and then that's it. It happens. It happens that quickly. I think a lot of times people think that like there's a lot of emotion and like you know hard feelings and you know things like that going on. And it's really not. It has nothing, literally nothing to do with that at all. It's like people leave the room, and it's like you're immediately on to something else. You're not like going, oh boy, they were really terrible, or they came in here and blew it. If they blew it, you're moving on. You're not like talking about it. So. Let it go. You don't have to hold. Um, it. You, yeah, you don't yeah. don't don't hold on to it. You know why? Because we're not holding on yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. We've we've immediately erased erased any audition or anything that didn't work from our mind. You know, if you just come in and do you like what Todd said, ultimately that is what will make you stand out. Just do you and let the chips fall where they may.
8: Yeah, I I, I will say this coming from a casting perspective we want you to succeed so badly. <laughs> we want you to be who we're looking for. I that's probably my favorite thing is when someone comes in, you don't expect them, you don't know who they are, you've never seen them before, and they are the right person. Not, oh, look at their credits. Oh, look what they've done before, who they've worked with before, but just the right person for the part. Like we want you to we want you to be the best, because that makes our job so much easier.
4: <laughs> but when
6: you get there, don't go, hey, oh,
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> don't do the sound effects.
7: <laughs>
0: James, anything from a writing perspective? Yeah, um,
7: this is actually a sort of global philosophical thing, so sorry, guys, but uh, I think the question, how do I make it in Hollywood, how do I get there, quote-unquote, is too broad a question. Um, I also teach uh, in the film-related side and what I tell all of my students is, you know how you win? You keep creating. Yes. So mm-hmm. whoever you are listening out there, keep doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about whether I get discovered in Hollywood or anything like that. It's about generating quality material. Absolutely. And if you do that and the chips fall where you do get discovered, you win. And if you do that and you don't get discovered, you still win because you're being
0: an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Create something. Put it where somebody can see it. Then create something else and put that where somebody can yes. see it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. You can create a little scene and you do it for your parents. And then you're mm-hmm. going to create a little play and you're going to perform it with your 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 friends and a in your garage. And then you're you know create something and put it someplace where somebody can see it. Get better every single time and then always you know put put those stories out there. If you've heard James and I do so many of these intros on this podcast. We talk so much about our own backgrounds and experiences in our writing. You know, you don't have to be like, I want to write a Quentin Tarantino movie. Look at your life. Look at what you know we mentioned Willard's Woods earlier that came from a story from James's background you know whenever we talked about conversations in cars Lookout point those characters are people that i knew in my life We're, you know you yeah. <laughs> well,
5: well, well, well. <laughs> we all just took a giant step away yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my advice is look at look at what's look at your own life there's enough drama and wonderful stories in all of our lives tell those stories, you know, in a in a natural way and Put them where somebody can see it and, and, and whenever you do finally come out to Hollywood, remember it's all about, it's all about connections. Right. You know, you can, it, it, mm-hmm. it truly is about these, all of us sitting in this room, we've all been together for many, many years. You know, it is, this industry is about, is about the connections, the partnerships and the people that community. you know. It's, yeah. the community. it's the community. Come in, come into Los Angeles or New York or London or Berlin or wherever you want to be as an artist and be part of the community with an open mind and an open heart and we wish you the best on that That's so my and basically when you get out here to
6: hollywood look for a new frequency there you go <laughs> yes. absolutely and, and,
3: and don't wait for someone to tell you you know uh, to hire you before you become an artist know that in your heart if you're constantly creating as to like what james said then you are an artist it doesn't matter whether you're being hired you know today or tomorrow as long as you're constantly creating and you're putting something out there as you mentioned then you are an artist and that is that is what you should be feeling in your heart do it for that not about you know will i be writing the next you know Big, huge feature film.
0: Absolutely, art is relative, mm-hmm. and you know there, there. You know, I mean, there is nothing to. I mean, look at Disaster artists. It's an amazing. It's an it's an amazing. You know, movie about that movie, The Room, and it's about you know all art, the success in art is all relative. You know, w- w- what we're w- what we're talking about is is it's it's all relative. You can be having success in your local town it, mm-hmm. it, or writing a novel or doing whatever. It's all relative. It, it is is when you're putting your best effort in. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I want to wind down so I want to go around and just let everybody have one chance to kind of just maybe share like you know either a new frequency memory or just sort of something that you know is just like a rapid fire of like you know what they think about new frequency a best new frequency memory a funny story or just a thought about the show uh, as a whole and then I'll kind of uh, close out our 100th episode so um, where should I start where should I start I kind of want to go around Todd do you care if I start with you sure I'll start with Todd share you huh? and I'll call everybody else so we can hear because I think I'm gonna t-
2: say everybody's favorite which was in our very first show set in the 1800s when yeah! Jeff Hoheimer bumped into somebody on stage and said my bad <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: yes. Not quite eighteen hundred speak,
4: Jeff.
0: Yes. Oh Jeff. Love you. Marquette.
1: Um I, I think I just wanna I think I just wanna say something really quick about what an amazing thing can happen when some writers and actors and sound people and artists of all and musicians get together. And really commit to trying to make something special, something of beauty, something unique. Because I've seen a lot of stuff over the course of my career. Everybody in this room has. And what was created here with New Frequency is completely unique and special. And so that's one thing I want to say to all of you, but also to the listeners, is that it's amazing what can be done. When you put some artists together who just want to make some beautiful art. So do that. Thank you.
0: Des Um
8: Wow. One of my favorite memories as an actor with New Frequency was... Now, I know this episode was already done, and I don't even know if you aired my version of Hungry Valley. No. <laughs> because <laughs> we did it twice, and I knew the original so well that it was actually a little awkward to do it again, because I'm like, I know exactly how it sounds, and I think the person that did it is in this room. Uh, but, and you're really good. So. But it was really uh, fun to, just using my voice, try to uh, make sure that people understood that my leg was being devoured <laughs>
4: well,
8: I was still alive. It was great, and as a side note, If you're ever working in a Kinko's as a copy consultant and you see a dude come in with script after script after script talk to that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. 16 years later they called them
7: copy consultants <laughs> <laughs>
8: um,
7: I feel like anything I say will be inadequate uh, I'm just gonna say museum of television and radio I wanted to throw that out mm-hmm. then we got to perform there absolutely mm-hmm. I also got to sort of live a fantasy of being a little mini Rod Serling and cranking out hundreds of plays for this thing uh-huh. yeah. and then i just have to say uh gill is he dead
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, tracy crotch uh, I, I i i concur with everything that's been said so far um i there are so many memories that are flooding back to me at this moment that uh, that i do feel that it a lot of what Mark said, um, the trust that was created so that if the listener out there is thinking about joining a troop or starting something like this, um, or just wanting to follow your own passion, find fellow people around you that you can trust and just grow with. And, and it's an amazing thing to create this living, breathing entity that new frequency became and, and all of, Then everyone, a part of it, it seemed like family, and and still continues to feel like family. So I think in that respect, um, you know, there's how we all built it up together. Are some of my favorite memories going to Fox Studios, going to the Television Academy, doing an episode at at the Egyptian Theater? Absolutely. Um, You know, having all of those incredible experiences together, and and of course, you know. uh, I mean, Teresa Arison, who's not here, we, she was usually my, my partner in crime went on the Foley table. And, and uh, as, as well as when we, you know, traveled vocally down dark streets yeah. <laughs> before being attacked by zombies, <laughs> yes. um, among, other among other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I too have been married or killed, uh, you know, by most of the people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so there's, there's a love and a connection, and, and I just think if, if you find people that you can just trust to grow, you know, and create art with, then, then pursue that. And that's my favorite memory of when I think of New Frequency. Oh.
0: Go Glasgow. <laughs> yeah.
6: Well, we were doing a show at the uh, Lillian Space, which was yeah. that odd, strange yeah. space was all yeah. small. Hollywood it was like theater. wider than oh, it was yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, and I had decided that I was going to, I always wanted to do this, that this show, I was going to have the makings for a martini, and as soon as the show was done, we would, we would mingle with the audience and talk, and I thought I was gonna make me a martini, and I did. And I made it, and it was fabulous, and I turn around, and I step out on stage to greet the audience, and it was a junior high group that was there. <laughs> and I remember standing there. They all wanted to talk to me, and I'm holding this martini. <laughs> I think this can't be any more inappropriate.
4: That's <laughs>
10: always stuck in my head. <laughs> Nick <laughs> the Blade Schroeder, Do you have anything? Uh, well, real quick, I just want to get back to the breaking in thing from a technical aspect. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, because you brought me in to be sound supervisor I took over from Warren, and then he later came back to help me I out, which reserve, was a huge yes. help, by the way. Um, but when you're breaking into the, the sound industry in any aspect, just be professional. Even if it's the most punk job with the cruddiest old equipment, just keep a professional
0: attitude. Did he just call us a punk job? <laughs> I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
10: But then the fun thing is is working with all these creative nutty actors, you know, because the technical people were kind of nerdy sometimes and you know, we're in our own little world of knobs and lights and stuff like that. But anyway, just whatever the gig is, just be professional about it and you'll work your way up from there. It'll work out. No. Well. You memories, said knobs. Sometimes a joystick too. Oh, no, no. But as far as memories, Some of the venues, I remember, especially the Roxy Theater in Hollywood. Awesome. The Roxy Theater, I mean, the greatest rock bands in the world. We were in in the Jim Morrison dressing room. Yes. And we're doing radio drama. It It was just a bizarre trip, and it was great. But then some of the, I mean, there's so many stories, I can't remember them all, but a few... Many of you, if not all of you, there would be certain stories where you'd have something and you dug so deep. It just, I was in awe to see what could come out of you guys sometimes. Mm -hmm. I remember one, Gil had one, and it was sort of a Western, and there were like creepy things in an old barn or something. Drink to fate. Drinks Drink of Fame, yeah. and man, of you, you dug so deep oh, on that one, yeah. and I was like, oh my God, is this the same guy, you know? <laughs> so, that's what sticks in He's my mind. He's still there. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Victoria? Um, for, for me, I mean, so many memories, and I think the group has touched on pretty much everything, but um, Gil and I took a, a road trip up to San Francisco on Christmas Day, and um, it's, I don't know, it's like a six hour trip and we happen to have been able to cajole Matt into releasing some of the uh, CDs, CDs at that time, yes. um, of the, the shows to us for the trip. And we started, we went from LA to, to San Francisco and started as we left the house with one tape. And I swear to God, seven CDs later, we were in San Francisco, and it felt like 20 minutes. Yeah. Wow. And, and again, the experience of going, honey, who is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? It, it just, uh, and I, I I, don't, I'm sure it sounds like I'm blowing smoke for all of us, but um, this this experience was transformative for me, and such a joy, and such um such art, and once a month.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: and I, I will say, I think for most of, well, no, I'll speak for me. We got to carry a damn script. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which I, I will tell you, I think, gave us a freedom that is inexplicable to to really describe. Mm-hmm. Because we were able to make those instant decisions and react in a way that if we had had to worry about memorizing our character lines week in and week out, I don't think we would have had the flexibility to um, to manage what what we were able to accomplish. So. That mm.
7: didn't, it didn't detract from me getting nightmares about missing pages all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
5: so, oh, uh,
4: oh, oh, yeah. we so can
7: pay a quick tribute here to uh, Susan, Suzanne.
2: What was her name? Susan <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Who uh, who played a character who was blind, and so she chose not to use her. Yes, script she could all memorize. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Oh my
3: goodness. Um, yes. Warren
9: Harkins. Uh, One of the things that I have admired most about this entire group, people that are present and people that are not present, is the adaptability that everybody brought to the gig. Because when I started, we were working most of the shows at a place called the Jewel Box Theater, which was a couple blocks off Hollywood Boulevard, pretty much in the heart of Hollywood. And it was home for one season. Mm -hmm. And then we became a little bit of a road show. We started changing theaters, the the Lillian Mm -hmm. space, I remember that as the elephant space but I know what you're talking about. And the Museum of Broadcasting and my mind utterly got blown working at the Roxy because I was helping (laughs) Dick Schroeder I was up on stage helping Dick with the sound check on the mics. (laughs) And I'm looking out at the house at the Roxy, and I'm realizing this is the same view that Bob Marley got. This is the same view (laughs) that Bob Dylan got, Neil Young, all these bands. And I'm looking at the house in the same way from the same stage. And that was very, very cool. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really I remember most is when we were working that couple of shows at the Elephant Space, the the Lillian Theater. It's on Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, Kind of on, they call it Theater Row. Yeah. You know better than I. Mm -hmm. But it's in the heart of the LA Theater Row area near Hollywood. And I was doing the load in. Middle of the day, hotter than hell, box loads of stuff to load into the theater. Um, And as I'm walking down the street, I look down and there is a terrazzo star. Is that the word? A star on the sidewalk. And it's nowhere near Hollywood Boulevard. And I, so it was very unusual, and I looked, and it had most of a paragraph of text on it. And the star denoted the former location, I don't know if you guys knew this, but directly across from the Lillian Theater was the site of the old Buster Keaton Theater. Okay. Or Buster, I'm sorry, Buster Keaton Studio, where so many of those great movies got made. I'm a big fan of Keaton, and I was looking down at this and realizing, here was a man who was totally dedicated to sight, and not sound. And here we are totally dedicated to sound. <laughs> oh, and I thought that worked. No, I fine. thought that just gelled really, really <laughs> well. <laughs> we did, I remember a couple of times showing up at the Lillian
0: Theater and going, yeah, okay, I got you,
9: Buster.
4: <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Well, thank you guys all for that. I mean, to sort of like, I think, bring it all to a conclusion and to kind of close it all off. The one thing I think I want to say about New Frequency is, you know, we've been together for. 18 years, and New Frequency is as much alive now as it was then. We've Maybe we haven't performed live as much as we've wanted to in the last few years, and sometimes there's time in between when we're together, but New Frequency has always been a troupe from the moment that I created it. We've been together longer than some of the venerated Los Angeles theater troops. We've been together longer than a lot of the improv companies. We've been a podcast in a a live stage show longer than those million listener podcasts that are together every week. You know, New Frequency is alive and will always be out there because of the work that we did. There, we've we've performed stage shows. We've performed live shows. We've performed studio shows. We've released CDs. We were the first radio drama show on this new thing called Satellite Radio. (laughs) We've done live midnight broadcasts in Los Angeles at KPFK. We've done radio conventions. If there's something that this show could have done, we did it. (laughs) And New Frequency is very much alive and very much a part of all of our lives, and will continue to be a part of all of our lives. This is not the end of our story, because our story will continue. We'll always be doing some new recordings. It might take us a little time to do it, but we'll definitely always be doing them. But for me, my memory is, as an artist... You know, the experiences are sometimes more valuable than the end product. Mm. And the experience with all of you has been the treasure of a lifetime. And for me, New Frequency isn't just us standing on stage at microphones. New Frequency is writing in the middle of the night because I had an idea. Or story sessions with James. Or working with any of our wonderful sound guys, from Eric to Warren to Dick, to going over to Rob the Iceman's house and creating music. You know, th- there is so much that, that, that goes into this production and the story of New Frequency is so much greater than just the audio that we've produced. But the audio is really damn good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really proud of the work that we did. And to say that I've been a part of a of a troupe that's been around for 18 years and Will continue to go around. New frequency twenty twenty is already having a great ring to me for some <laughs> yeah. good marketing coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New frequency twenty is already sounding really good yeah, I like to it. me. Yeah. Uh, it is you know at the end of my at the end of my days when. My time in the entertainment industry is done, and I'm an old man, you know sitting back I want you all to know that I will always think of you and our time together And for two years when I've been putting these podcasts up you you were with me in this house You are with me in audio spirit And there's never a time that I don't smile and think of all of you with so much love and that's not just the performers It's the technicians. It's everything. It's the spaces. We've been in the energy of this show Is is greater than I think anything we ever could have expected, and it's a wonderful gift. And I thank all of you for that wonderful gift. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you for letting me audition. So I guess the only thing left to say is stay tuned. We'll be bringing you some more new frequency down the line. And uh, thanks for the buggy ride. It's like
2: nothing I have ever experienced.
0: Three, two, one. Thank you guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you
4: soon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) New Frequency
4: signing off in three,
1: two, one.